You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is Tuesday, May 11th. And I just want to say congratulations to Tim Tebow on getting another shot at the NFL. He tried quarterback for the Broncos, he tried quarterback for the Jets, and now he's back in football as a tight end because the important thing is that Tim Tebow gets as many chances as he needs. So if it doesn't work out as a tight end, he can try running back or wide receiver, or hell, he can just be the actual ball, just as long as that ball isn't thrown by Colin Kaepernick. Anyway, on tonight's show, cryptocurrency is soaring into space. New York City might join the Yang Gang, and for some reason, we wade into the Israel-Palestine conflict. So, let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. All right, let's kick things off with the big entertainment news about the Golden Globes a great honor for actors, and a huge insult to flat earthers. You might remember that the award ceremony has been under fire for its lack of diversity and alleged corruption. And with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association dragging its feet about making changes, people have started ramping up the pressure. The Golden Globes, off for now. NBC announced it will not air the award show next year. Another major blow to the Globes following months of criticism from movie stars and Hollywood insiders directed at the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. After an LA Times report that revealed, among other things, none of the group's 87 voting members are black. Netflix and Amazon Studios have both threatened to cut ties with the association. The winner is... Tom Cruise. Now, three-time Golden Globe winner Tom Cruise is joining the growing boycott, returning his statues to the organization. He has three Golden Globes, and he said, nah, you can have these back. That, that's a signal to other prominent white people in power in this industry to step up and fight the fight with us. Oh, boy. You know you screwed up if Tom Cruise is distancing himself from you. And personally, personally, it doesn't bother me if the Golden Globes go away. I mean, because the purpose of film isn't about pleasing snobby critics with golden statues. No, it's about figuring out how to set at least one scene of your movie in China to increase box office revenues. But this doesn't change how crazy it is that the Hollywood foreign press doesn't have any black members. I mean, think about this. You're a group representing the entire world and you can't find a single black person? Africa has like hundreds of them. I mean, one of them will come over and watch a movie. Moving on to cryptocurrency, the preferred money of the worst dude in your group chat. If you've been on the internet at all this last year, you know that the dream of crypto traders is to send their coins value soaring to the moon. And now some people are taking that literally. The cryptocurrency based on the meme of a chubby Shiba Inu dog is paying for a trip to the moon. SpaceX is accepting a popular cryptocurrency as payment for an upcoming moon mission. The Geometric Energy Corporation said it paid SpaceX in Dogecoin to secure a spot for an 88-pound satellite on a mission called Doge One. It's slated to take off in early 2022 and will obtain lunar spatial intelligence from sensors and cameras. 
Dogecoin is a digital currency founded by two software engineers in 2013 as a joke. It's now one of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the market. Yep, that's right. You can now use the cryptocurrency Dogecoin to pay for a SpaceX trip to the moon. Which means it's time for another episode of our ongoing series, News I Barely Understand. Honestly, people, I can't tell if this story means that crypto is real or space travel is fake. I mean, either way, this is the first space mission where I'm worried that both the rocket and the currency might crash. And even if it is successful, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I'm worried about using crypto for space missions. Like, I don't want humanity's first interaction with aliens to be an astronaut explaining how the blockchain works. So it's a peer-to-peer digital currency with an online ledger which records ownership through a series of- Stop it. Please stop it. We came in peace, but now you need to shut the f*** up. You know what's crazy about Dogecoin is that it's so valuable, but almost nobody accepts it as actual money. I mean, it must be really weird to be a Dogecoin billionaire. Hey, what's up, baby girl? I'm so rich, I'll take you all around the world. Hell, I'll even take you to space. Ooh, sounds like fun. But first, I'm so hungry. Can we get a sandwich? Uh, yeah. Uh, in that case, I'm gonna need you to spot me. Yeah. But let's move on now to our main story. Israel versus Palestine. And I know that even saying that sentence means I'm losing followers online and I'm on the verge of being blocked on all social media and in life. That's how contentious this topic is. I mean, before you even finish the sentence, people are like, you idiot, how dare you, shut the hell up. But guys, we have to talk about it because this is one of the most difficult stories that has existed in our lifetime. I mean, there are lots of fights that seem like they'll never come to an end, You know, India versus Pakistan, China versus Tibet, white people versus rhythm. But Israel versus Palestine is a 73-year-old beef that has stumped everybody. I mean, when it stumped Jared, you knew that this thing was difficult. But the paradox, the paradox is that because Israel and Palestine has been ongoing for so long, people forget that it is ongoing. That is until there are flare-ups that the world cannot ignore which is what happened again this week. Overnight, a deadly barrage from Israeli forces lighting up the skies over Gaza. And in the West Bank, warning sirens echoing through Bethlehem. Earlier, Palestinian militant groups firing more than 200 rockets into Israel. Most of the Hamas rockets stopped by Israel's missile defense system or they fell short. Israeli strikes reportedly killing at least 23 people, including nine children. Israel saying the dead were militants. At least six Israelis were reported injured. Tensions have been escalating over Israeli moves to evict Palestinian families from their homes in East Jerusalem. They boiled over as more than 100 worshippers and protesters were injured as Israeli police stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque using tear gas and rubber bullets. Yes, this week, the conflict escalated again. And now... Dozens of people are dead, including children. And look, man, what makes Israel-Palestine such a difficult topic to even broach 
is all the layers that are packed into it. No matter how much you try and break it down, people are always gonna say that you're leaving out some crucial piece of context. And you know what the truth is? They're probably right. I mean, there's the history of how Israel became a state after Nazi Germany tried to destroy the Jewish people. But there's also the history of the British taking the land from the Palestinians. Not to mention that every other country in the region has its own issues and its own agendas. And then on top of all of that, there's religion involved. And I don't care what anybody says, man, religion is the one thing that has never calmed any situation when there's a clash. And you know what makes it even harder? Is the fact that who's right and who's wrong always seems to change depending on when you start measuring time. This week was the perfect, perfect example of it. If you start from Israel fired rockets into Gaza, well, then Israel is the bad guy because they're bombing Gaza. But then you take a step back in time, you go, well, Hamas fired rockets at Israel. Well, then Hamas is the bad guy. But then you take a step back and you go, but the Israeli police, they went in and started beating people up in a mosque during Ramadan, the most holy time in the Muslim calendar. Well, then Israel is the bad guy. But then you go, well, the Palestinians, they were throwing rocks. Well, the Israelis, they were kicking people out of their homes. Well, the Intifada, well, Israel keeps taking more and more land. Well, the Arab invasion and back and back and back and who knows how far. Like you probably find the first cavemen who hit each other with clubs were probably Israeli and Palestinian. I don't know. And look, I don't wanna have that argument. I don't wanna have that argument and the noise that goes back and forth in this thing because honestly, I don't think that any TV show in 10 minutes is gonna come close to solving Israel-Palestine. And 10 minutes isn't even enough time to explain the mortal combat conflict. So I'm not even trying to come in and do that, right? I'm not trying to do that. The part where we say who's good and who's bad and who started, let's, let's step away from that and instead ask a different question. Instead, let's look at who's dead and who's alive this week. In Gaza, Israeli airstrikes have reportedly killed 28 people, including 10 children. Over 150 people have been wounded. In Israel, Hamas rockets have killed two people. And this exchange of fire comes after the Israeli assault in and around the Al-Aqsa Mosque that left more than 600 Palestinian protesters, worshippers, and civilians wounded. And a few dozen Israeli police. Now, personally, I'm not saying for you, just personally, I cannot watch that footage and hear those numbers and see a fair fight. Like, set aside motives and intentions and just look at technology, technology alone. Israel has one of the most powerful militaries in the world. They can crush Gaza like that. Not to mention one of the most advanced defense systems in the world. You shoot a rocket at them, it's probably not going to do anything to them because of their defense system. Right, they've got a giant Mutombo in the sky just knocking them down. And I know, I know that this is contentious. And I know that people are gonna hate me for this. But I just wanna ask an honest question here. If you are in a fight where the other person cannot beat you, how hard should you retaliate when they try to hurt you? 
Honest question. And I ask this question because I think of it like this. When I was a teenager, I would always get into fights with my little brothers. And little kids can be vicious, right? They're trying to punch you in the leg, trying to punch you in the nuts. They're, they're kids, they do that. But my mom would say to me, whenever I get angry, she'd go, Trevor, don't hit the kid back because they can't hurt you. You're a teenager and the kid is four. And I was like, yeah, but the kid is hitting me. He could hurt me. But my mom was like, yeah, but you're also so much bigger than the kid. You can crush him in an instant. And please don't, don't get me wrong right now because I, I, I know someone's gonna watch this and go like, oh, you're comparing Palestinians to children. No, I'm not doing that. I'm telling a story about myself. Honestly, I am. Because what my mom made me understand is that as a person who has immensely more power, I had to ask myself whether my response to this child was just or necessary. Could I find different ways to deal with this? Whether I felt aggrieved or not, or whether they were fighting fair was almost irrelevant. Was I even able to ask myself the question about why they were doing what they're doing? Was I, was I willing to admit guilt? This was all part of the question that I had to ask myself. But the main question I ask in this situation is about power. And please, again, I know this is not a great analogy because I'm not saying Palestinians are children. I'm not just saying they're all children, right? I'm not saying that they're harmless or that they're irrational or acting out. I'm not saying any of that, I'm not. I'm just talking about the difference in power, which is something we do all the time. I mean, think about policing. If a man has a knife, should the cops shoot him? In many parts around the world, like in the UK, they say, well, we're gonna do everything we can to try and not shoot the person, even at risk to ourselves, because at the end of the day, they brought a knife to a gunfight. So what's the right response? Well, I mean, everyone has a different answer to the question and I'm not trying to answer the question, nor do I think I'm smart enough to solve it. All I'm asking is, when you have this much power, what is your responsibility? All right. If we come back after the break, we'll look at the race to be New York's next mayor and Jay Belvin is still joining me on the show. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Let's talk about New York City. It's King Kong's favorite place to pole dance. For most of the country, election season isn't happening until next year. But for America's biggest and most Apple-like city, the mayoral election is already in full swing. And there's no shortage of candidates trying to fill Bill de Blasio's freakishly large shoes. Now to the race to become the next and 110th mayor of New York City, a large and diverse group running for the open seat. Mayor de Blasio, of course, is term limited. Entrepreneur Andrew Yang joins a big field that includes borough president Eric Adams, controller Scott Stringer, former HUD secretary Sean Donovan, and former Citibank executive Ray McGuire. New York has never elected a woman as mayor. This time around, Maya Wiley, Catherine Garcia, and Diane Morales are hoping to change that. We have waited 400 years uh, to break this particular glass ceiling. You've never seen a candidate quite like Paperboy, Love Prince. They're an artist, a rapper, an activist as well, and the owner of the Love Gallery in Bushwick. One of the things that I've wanted to establish is a love ticket so we can have more positive reinforcement in the community. That's saying that if you're out there and you're helping an old lady across the street and a cop sees you doing, hey, you're helping an old lady across the street, I'm writing you a ticket, a love ticket. 
for $150 for doing something positive. Keep going. Okay, okay, this is a nice idea. But if you ask me, people shouldn't be doing random acts of kindness to get money, all right? They should be doing it for Instagram likes. But this is a heartwarming story still, don't get me wrong. I mean, now we're gonna get to hear the chief of police be like, yesterday, our love patrol gave a man a love ticket for picking up some litter. But when the suspect failed to comply, the officer had to shoot him. Now, sadly, Paperboy Love Prince is not doing very well in the polls. In fact, even though there's more people in this race than masturbators inside the Port Authority bus terminal, there is one candidate who's been on top since the very beginning. Andrew Yang is by far the highest profile candidate in the race for mayor. He's dominated the polls and the headlines. By most standards, he does tack more moderate. He wants to grow some parts of the NYPD. He seeks corporate partners like JetBlue, and he discourages higher taxes on the wealthy. At the same time, he proposes a basic income for the poorest New Yorkers of $2,000 per year and a city-run People's Bank for those with limited to no access to banking. He has more creative ideas. One that made headlines, he wants to bring TikTok hype houses, basically creator collectives, to New York City. Yes, a TikTok hype house. This is the perfect policy for everyone in New York who's gone, I love this city, I just wish my neighbors were louder. (sighs) Now, um, for our older viewers who may not know what a TikTok hype house is, it's basically a place where influencers make videos while they live together, sort of like on the real world. And for our younger viewers, uh, The Real World was a popular reality show back in the 90s where people lived together in a house. And now it's making a comeback. And for our viewers who play for the Jets, a comeback is when a team is losing, but then they actually win the game. Now, it might not come as a surprise that Andrew Yang has been dominating this race. I mean, after making a name for himself with a presidential run last year, he's one of the only candidates that most people had even heard of. And it's just a fact that name recognition can instantly catapult you to success. I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I would have even been considered for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah if my name wasn't already Trevor Noah. I think it helped people imagine me in the role. You know, because the name, or there was, huh. And it's always great to have major name recognition and major poll numbers. But you know what always comes next? Major backlash. As the front runner, he's getting extra scrutiny. Yang admits he hasn't voted in recent local elections. I think like some others, I may have taken our local government uh, for granted. Andrew Yang is deflecting some criticism after he tweeted this video, a trip to the bodega, depending on what you want to call it. New York City relies upon its 14,000 bodegas so much. I love bodegas. Many shot back saying this doesn't look like a bodega at all. Andrew Yang facing backlash tonight for suggesting there should be more enforcement of unlicensed street vendors in New York. After an LGBTQ mayoral forum with the Stonewall Democratic Club, Yang was called out of touch and tone deaf about gay issues. They said it was like he never met a gay person in his life. You're so human and beautiful. You make New York City special. When COVID first hit in March, Yang and his family went to their second home in upstate New York. He later told the Times, can you imagine trying to have two kids on virtual school in a two-bedroom apartment and then trying to do work yourself? Okay, now that is a gaffe. Can they imagine it? My man, New Yorkers lived it. The only part that most New Yorkers can't imagine is having a second bedroom. I mean, look, I'm not a politician, but just a little bit of advice. 
you never want to start a sentence with, can you imagine? And then just describe most people's lives. Like if you're running for mayor of the Shire, you never say, can you imagine being three foot six? You wouldn't be able to reach anything. (laughs) Now, surprisingly, these missteps haven't seemed to hurt Yang too much, but that doesn't mean that he should start inviting TikTok stars to join him at the mayor's mansion just yet. Because recently, another candidate caught up to him in the polls. Former NYPD police captain, Eric Adams. And if you want a sense of Adams's general vibe, well, this will give you a pretty good idea. Eric Adams has yet to comment on a video from 2011 where he shows parents how to search their homes for any illegal items their children might bring in. No one can state that you can't search a room in your own home. You write the constitution. There are no First Amendment rights inside your household. You can look in a jewelry box, a jewelry box of this nature, maybe a simple jewelry box, but if you look through it closely, you don't know what your child may be hiding. For instance, a gun could be hidden. When your child brings in his popular knapsack with many different locations, look through it to see what exactly is your child carrying in addition to a book. Something simple as a crack pipe, a used crack pipe. Behind a picture frame, you can find bullets. Just look and see what's inside your bookcases. It could be more than just books. Perfect place to hide uh, cocaine or other illegal substance inside the room. Something simple as as a baby doll. Could be just a baby doll, but also it could be a place where you could secrete or hide drugs. Holy shit. Who is this kid? El Chapo's long lost son? Yo, let me tell you something. If I went through my kid's bedroom and I found all that stuff, I would not confront them about it. Yeah, I'd go to my spouse like, yo, baby, we gotta move out of the house. As Soon as he leaves, we move to another country. We start a new life. This kid is not playing. But if this video shows one thing about Eric Adams, it's that he is thorough as hell. I half expected him to be like, don't forget to look everywhere. Even a mayoral candidate can be a great place to hide drugs. Now, Eric Adams has been surging recently. And in part, this is because of his tough on crime approach, which is appealing in a city where shootings have soared 83% in the past year. But he's not the only threat to Yang. Former sanitation commissioner, Catherine Garcia, just received the endorsement of the New York Times. And comptroller, Scott Stringer, has been in the mix until recently when he was accused of sexual misconduct, which, could hurt his mayoral campaign. But the good news for him is that'll definitely qualify him to be governor. And what makes the race even more unpredictable than usual is that this will be the first time New York City uses ranked choice voting, right? Which means that instead of voting for just your favorite candidates, voters can rank up to five candidates in order of preference. The question is, do New Yorkers even know five candidates? All right, when we come back, I'll be talking to international superstar, Jay Belvin, so don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. My guest tonight is reggaeton global superstar, Jay Belvin. We get to talk about his new documentary where he returns home to Colombia to play his first stadium show and what it was like to deal with the country's turmoil while he was there. Jay Belvin, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. (laughs) Thank you, man. Thank you, the, the, the distance is off, okay? Yeah, man, See, you know, you, you, we gotta keep that distance for now. For now, soon it's gonna be done. Everyone vaccinated, hopefully no masks, good times. I'm gonna be back at one of your concerts. I, your concerts, man, it was like church. Everybody knew the words. 
Everybody was moving together. You came out with an energy that was insane. One of the best performances I've ever seen, like your props on stage. It's like you're going into another world. It's a psychedelic experience. The music is fantastic. I was a fan from that day and I'm a fan till this day. What do you think it is about J Belvin that connects with so many millions of people around the globe? I don't consider myself a superstar, you know? I just, I just think that I'm a, I'm a dreamer, you know? Like, I'm a real dude, man, you know? Like, I got, I got good and the bads, you know? Like, I'm, I'm, I have great days, I have bad days, you right. know? Like, because sometimes people think that when you're an artist, you have this perfect life. And to me, that has changed, at least, what I want to do in this generation is like, yo, guys, listen, we are human beings just like you. Yeah, I do music, I connect to people. Yes, but man, I want people when I die to remember me or remind me as a Jose, as a human being that was just making his dream come true. We feel that in the documentary that is out now on, on, uh, on Amazon Prime Video, you know, the boy from Medellin, when, when I grew up thinking of Medellin, all I knew was Pablo Escobar. Why was it so important for you to not just go, hey, this is J Balvin, let me show you the music, but no, let me show you the place that made me who I am. Basically in the, in the 80s, you know, um, Medellin, Colombia used to be the most dangerous city on the planet. And we lost a lot of family, we lost a lot of friends, you know. Um, and, and it hurts me when I see like young kids, especially, especially when I'm in the States, rocking like Pablo Escobar shirts. And I'm like, yo, you don't, you don't know what this dude did, you know? He he basically, he just made everything bad for us, you know? And that's why like now I took it so personal. I was like, we have to show the positive side and show how great the people from my country is and that we're not into this world no more, you know? Like I'm, I'm really close friend with Pablo Escobar's son. And he told me something one day that I never gonna forget. It's like my dad taught the world how not to do things right. Wow. And then, and, and it's his dad. And he's like, he just messed up the whole generation. You know, like I, I wanna show the world, the new generation that we have, artists we have, us poor people, you know, that we have. Uh, a lot of great people from Colombia, you know, making the dream come true. You, you also show a side of yourself that many artists wouldn't show. I was, I was watching this and I was like, man, I didn't know and I never would have thought that Jay Belvin struggles with anxiety before going on stage. I would have never thought that you're having mild panic attacks when, when you're thinking about doing this. Why did you choose to share that with the people and, and how have you coped with that as a human being? It's, it's like lottery, you know, like, there's people that come with anxiety and it doesn't have that something trigger. Depression is not being sad. You know, depression, it's a chemical disbalance in your brain that is way more powerful than you. I, I never thought I was gonna be medicated. I, thought, I used to be like going to the psychiatric just for crazy people, hell no. You know, until it's been 10 years taking medication, you know, and I wasn't like, I haven't heard the first person that is looking to feel bad. You know, like, oh, mm. I wake up, hmm. I want to feel bad today. No. 
that's what I love about this whole story, man, is how how intimate you know you 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 get about about what's happening. I mean, even even the story of what's happening in Colombia, like a lot of people are seeing it in the news now. You show the the the, the conflict, and you also show the conflict that you face because I mean, you you make the music you make. It's not political, you know. You 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 have a good time. You inspire people, and yet you show the the the, the difficulty in navigating this world as an artist. Yeah, like it's it's just sad the fact that we shot this two years ago, you know, and now this situation is happening once again. Right. A little, a little bit stronger, you know. Uh, and 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 I never signed a paper to be a politician, you know. Like I I didn't know when when I wanted to be an artist. The last thing I was thinking was talk about politics right you know and it's still it's still kind of hard for me to talk about it you know I'm I'm, I'm a real guy you know still hard because no one is ever gonna feel happy with what you say Definitely. you know we got the left and the right so when I say whatever the people from the left are gonna hate me and the right gonna love me or vice versa the, the streets made me the hood made me the crowd made me the you know the the people with without the benefits of having money. You know, let's say in that way, support me since I started. Mm-hmm. And that's what that are suffering most. Once again, you know, we're going through the situation in Colombia, which is really sad. Anyway, I speak out, still get the love, still get the hate, but at least I'm saying it. You know, I call. I, I, yeah, I, man. I. I I called the world, you know, I was like, listen, this is what's going on in Colombia, you know? And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to talk about politics, you know, when you sign, because you didn't sign for that, you know, you just want to make people happier and, and enjoy your music and go to your concerts, you know? But we're here, man, we're here, we're here. It makes part of life. Well, you know what, my friend? I think that's what people love about you and that's what makes you such an amazing superstar is you connect us to you and to other people who love what you do. I appreciate you for joining me on the show. Congratulations on telling an amazing story. Please, buddy. Be safe. The Boy from Medellin is available right now on Amazon Prime Video. Go check it out. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So please consider supporting an organization called Therapy Aid Coalition. They're a nonprofit committed to providing free and low-cost online therapy to essential workers and to victims of national disasters. So if you are able to, then please go to the link below and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you've lost your keys, ask Eric Adams to come search your house for you. He'll find them in five seconds. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.